If public health news makes you want to sing and dance, I've got a play for you. The Mold That Changed the World is playing at the Atlas Theater in D.C. It's about the invention of penicillin, and it sounds infectious. This is Pulse Check. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Here are a couple of headlines I'm watching. A panel of independent advisors at the CDC voted unanimously on Thursday to recommend COVID-19 vaccines be added to the regular immunization schedule for children, teens, and adults. This is a big deal because states often use these recommendations when deciding which vaccines to require for students. D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine put out guidance this week warning people not to use Facebook Messenger to discuss abortions, pointing to a recent incident in Nebraska where a patient's chat logs were used against her by local law enforcement. The AG is advising people to use encrypted messaging instead. And telehealth exploded during the pandemic. But some advocacy groups are worried that new action by Congress could go too far in reducing or eliminating options for in-person visits in order to cut costs. Ben Leonard is here to talk about the pressure Congress is under. You know, telehealth has been, rules have been expanded during the pandemic to allow a lot more access. And a lot of people have liked that. We've seen pretty high demand for telehealth um, during the pandemic. It's really changed the way that care is delivered here. And Congress is looking like it's heading towards passing an extension of these eased rules that allow more access to telehealth. But along the way, there are a bunch of other considerations as well. And people with disabilities feel like they're a little bit worried they might be left behind. Because, you know, while for them, people with disabilities have used telehealth a lot more than people without disabilities for a number of reasons. You know, one being that it's just people with disabilities may have mobility issues and, you know, it's difficult to get to a doctor's office, things like that. But they're worried at the same time that because it has been so convenient and easy, the doctors may push them to use telehealth more than is necessarily proper. There are some things you really need an in-person visit for, they say, and if they're pushed too much to telehealth, their care, they think that their quality of care could suffer. So it's sort of a difficult balancing act here. And why is it in the doctor's interest to push them in that direction? And what are the concerns? What do people fear they could um, lose out on? So it really depends on the payment model. So right now, during these pandemic waivers, the rate has been raised. The reimbursement rates have been raised for telehealth as it's been expanded. There definitely is some more motive right now to um, move people to telehealth. The thinking behind that is during the pandemic, you want to avoid exposure to COVID. And that's what the original thinking was. And the public health emergency is still underway. But as policymakers are looking forward, they have to consider what the payment rates will be. And the motivation for some of these doctors... One of the benefits of telehealth is that it can reduce costs, both for providers and patients. But if the incentives are set too high, disability advocates say that it may be more profitable for them to push people towards telehealth is what they're concerned about. And and who else could it be profitable for? I mean, you've been reporting that telehealth is just becoming a huge, huge business, um, billions of dollars of investment going in there. What is the financial interest here? Yeah, so telehealth can be a way to save money, essentially. The idea is that, you know, you're reducing overhead, you know, can be quicker, easier to pull off. So healthcare costs are high in America. People are always trying to reduce them. And telehealth is one way that could potentially do this. We're seeing a ton of money being poured into it from big tech firms, retail giants, everyone from Amazon and Walmart to Best Buy and Dollar General are trying to get a crack at telehealth. 
So there's been really this big push to get into telehealth from a lot of people because of its potential to, one, cut costs, to increase access also. So what, what kind of patients, what's an example of somebody who, you know, could be harmed by this shift? Yeah. So, I mean, it really could impact everyone, I think, if people are being pushed to telehealth too much. You know, it's a solid tool for providers and really been a boon for primary care, quicker things that you don't necessarily need an in-person visit for. But if the pendulum swings a little bit too far, uh, I think it could definitely impact quality of care if, you know, every single visit is on telehealth. I know that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but there are some things that just need to be done in person. And even the most staunch telehealth advocates acknowledge that. Can you give some examples? I mean, you, you've written about how this is challenging for people who have vision, hearing limitations. So right now, there are some issues with virtual care platforms that could impede things for deaf people. Not all of them are necessarily equipped because they you know, don't necessarily allow them to request sign language interpreters, for example. And often these platforms may require someone to help them figure it out. If you have intellectual disabilities or other issues, it may be difficult to access the platform. So you may require help. That's not always available for people. Well, we will be following this closely when Congress comes back. Thanks so much for explaining what's going on. Thanks so much for having me. For the last few weeks, I've been on the campaign trail, tracking how the fall of Roe versus Wade is upending politics, and it took me to Pennsylvania, where some of the last Republicans who support abortion rights are confronting the new landscape and fighting for their political survival. So one of these Republicans is Pennsylvania lawmaker Todd Stevens. He could be unseated this year by a Democratic challenger who says he hasn't done enough to defend abortion rights. Stevens argues that it's more important than ever to have someone like him in office so he can serve as a tempering voice in the Republican caucus. And it's a message that seems to be working for him as he campaigns door to door. Yeah, I think he would have some uh, pull, leverage with people to to make them see it's really important to meet, meet in the middle. That's Beverly Thompson, a constituent of Stevens, who told me she wants to protect abortion rights for her granddaughters. For granddaughters. Yeah. And, um, you know, that whole thing has been taken away from them now. You know, not that I think that everybody rushes out to get them, but it is the perception of many people that that's what people just go out and use that as birth control. My mother being one of them thinks that. Mm-hmm. And we, my daughters are like totally the opposite side of that. And it's just like, uh, it, it's a right that we had and it's being taken away. Mm-hmm. And I think that was wrong, really. Yeah. And, and, and you feel that he's on the right side of that? I do. I have seen him. Uh, I saw his post on Facebook and he got bombarded by diehard Republicans for what he said. But um, I stood up for him. I think he's very, I'm really, you know, with him, with most things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's pretty centrist. The race that will have the biggest impact on abortion in Pennsylvania is for governor. And Democrat Josh Shapiro told me that the higher stakes for reproductive rights right now is making the issue resonate in places where Democrats traditionally stayed away from it. This guy is uniquely dangerous. Like an old school union rally in the Philadelphia suburbs. He said his number one priority isn't great jobs, George Pisecki, isn't protecting the union way of life. No, he has said his number one priority. In fact, he said just the other day, it's the number one priority of his lifetime is to try and 
ban all abortion in Pennsylvania. It's true. And even Republicans who want to restrict abortion are aware of the political pitfalls right now and don't seem to be eager to talk about what they want to do in the future, including GOP House member Torin Ecker. It's, it's going to be something probably much like we have now, I think. It, it's a negotiated product that um, maybe it doesn't change at all. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting, Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.